if you have a copy of the scriptures, I'll invite you to take it and open to uh, Exodus chapter 33. Whether you have that uh, in a red Bible in the pew in front of you, or if you brought one along, or if you have it on your phone, uh, you'll turn there. That's where we're going to be camped out this morning. We are in a sermon series this fall, uh, which we're calling Revive Us Again, which is really a, a cry of our hearts uh, to God, saying that he, asking Him to come and to do a new work and to, to revive His work in us, that's to, that he would awaken those things that have fallen asleep, that he would restore those things that, that, that are broken down in us, that he would animate those things that have become dull in our lives, and so that our walk, our relationship with the Lord would have new life and new vitality, new passion, uh, new, a new uh, uh, faithfulness on our behalf as we reach out in the name of Jesus to this world. And so the history of the Christian church is really a, a, a series of these kind of renewal movements that over time, God's people uh, tend towards a drift, towards a, a, um, a drift from fidelity to Jesus, faithfulness to Jesus, a drift away from uh, a passion and a, and a life full of enthusiasm and love. And, and what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he, and he reorients us. Or he recalibrates us. He recenters us. And he comes and he points us back in the, in the direction. And he does that personally. He does that corporately. We've seen that in this series. And so what we've been doing in this series is looking through the scriptures at, at some of these renewal movements. These times of revival in the scriptures and saying, what, what can we do to posture ourselves, to position ourselves so that when the Holy Spirit moves in power, we're ready to receive it, and we're we're uh, we're being faithful, and so we've we've talked about that you know personal renewal in the life of uh, young King Josiah, who set his heart. Remember this: he set his heart to seek after God. We've seen the uh, the role of the scriptures in renewal movements. How um, how revival is uh, always involves a return of the authority of the scriptures to a place of prominence. Uh, we saw that by looking at the, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra set his heart. It says he, again, set his heart to study the word of God, to teach it, and to do it. Um, and and as, he, as, the, as the people returned to the scriptures and, and heard God's word and re- responded to it, how God birthed renewal in them. We talked about community renewal, Jeff, last week, talking about the community in Antioch. Uh, in the early church, as the Holy Spirit brings uh, new vitality to this community and the missionary impulse that um, that, that brought. And, uh, and we're going to conclude this series next week by, by talking about what do we do in the, in the in-between times? What do we do until revival comes? So if we're not in a, seri- a season, which we would say is a renewal time, a season of revival, what should we be doing in the in-between? But today we're going to be talking about the relationship between prayer and revival and you actually cannot talk about revival without talking about prayer and we've talked about prayer throughout um, this series we began really with a a a cry for revival from uh, the prophecy of isaiah where isaiah says oh that you would rend the heavens and come down remember that back on september 11th Um, and so the, the big idea this morning, and we're returning to Exodus. We've been in Exodus in the past. Uh, two, three weeks ago, we were in Exodus uh, talking about 
how Moses, in this time of, of a culture that was rebelling against God, how Moses set his heart towards God to seek after God. And we're going to press into Moses' example uh, this morning, especially with regards to prayer. But the big idea this morning is that to kindle every revival, the Holy Spirit always uses extraordinary prayer. That there has never been a history in the Scriptures, and there's never been uh, uh, a revival uh, in the history of the church that hasn't begun with extraordinary prayer. Jonathan Edwards says, When God has something great for His church, it is His will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of His people. When God has something great for His church, it is His will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of his people. The the book of Acts which which is really the birth of the early church is it tells us that the church was born in a prayer meeting. That there was 120 people gathered in an upper room praying and seeking God when God on Pentecost poured out the Holy Spirit and formed the church. And time and again throughout the book of Acts prayer preceded the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we're coming back to Moses. And uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Moses um, in this account in Exodus chapter 33, remember Moses has gone back up, has gone up the mountain, Mount Sinai. Um, This is like six weeks after the parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance out of Egypt. Moses has gone up to meet with God and God's entering into a covenant, into this marriage relationship with the people of Israel. And he's giving the law and he's giving his heart towards his people. But while Moses is up there, it takes a little too long. And so God's people get anxious and they say, "Um, we need a God to worship. And so they talk to Moses' brother Aaron and talk him into creating uh, a golden calf. And they begin to worship the golden calf. And so in this culture of rebelling against God, Moses comes down and he's angry and he breaks the tablets. And God says he's going he's gonna to depart. He's not going to go with Israel into the promised land. He's going to send his angel instead. And Moses, um, as, we, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, he contended with God. He's, he got in God's face. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit in more detail. And, and without the broader context like we did a couple of weeks ago, we're going to really dig into Moses, his prayer, Um, with God and how he contended, how he wrestled with God, how how he got in God's face, how he was tenacious in prayer. And so beginning Exodus 33 verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me 
your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. This is God's word to us. Now Moses took a tent, verse 7 says, and he used to pitch it outside the tent and he called it the tent of meeting. Moses has this tent of meeting, and and earlier it was right in the middle of the camp. It was right in the middle of the camp of Israel, of of these um, this massive multitude of people who are who are getting out of Egypt and getting ready to move and enter into the promised land. Moses had this tent in the middle of the camp, but now because of the um, the rebellion against God, because of the disobedience against God, he's taken this tent and he's pitched it outside the the camp, and he calls it the tent of meeting. This is, this is a place where you can go and meet with God. This is this action that Moses takes, really, you know, on his own. He, he, he says, I need to meet with God. And so he gets out, outside the camp. You know, as you study the great movements of the Holy Spirit in the history of the church, the first thing that happens in these movements is that... The, is that um, that leads to great revival is that one person or a, a, a group of people feel a burden. They feel this burden to meet with God. And so and they're actually led to do something about it. They, they feel a burden for the state of the church and they feel a burden for the state of the culture. They feel a burden for the society in which they're placed. And, and they are led to actually do something about it. One great example of that is in uh, New York City in uh, the year 1857. In the United States, it was a spiritual and political and economic low point. Sound familiar? Many people had become disillusioned with spiritual things because of preachers who had repeatedly and falsely predicted the end of the world. Agitation over the slavery issue had bred much political unrest. Civil war seemed imminent. A financial panic hit. In 1857, banks failed, railroads were bankrupt, factories closed, unemployment increased. This is fall of 1857. But there was a quiet 46-year-old businessman in New York named Jeremiah Lamphere, and he felt led by God to start a noontime weekly prayer meeting in which business people could meet for prayer. Anyone could attend for a few minutes or for an entire hour. The prayers were to be comparatively brief. Lamphere rented a hall on Fulton Street in New York City and advertised its availability for prayer meetings. The first day, September 23, 1857, Lamphere prayed alone for half an hour. Every renewal movement, every revival movement begins with a person or a small group of people feeling a burden and then actually doing something about it, taking action. Or, and these are usually ordinary people. Ordinary people. You know, the world is looking for great leaders. They want the great leaders. But God loves to work through ordinary people. It may be you. It may be you. That God is going to use. Have you felt a burden? Are you concerned 
about the situation? Are you concerned about the situation in the environment of your school or of your neighborhood or of your workplace? See, Moses then took the action of setting up a place of prayer and intercession. He wanted the presence of God to return. You see, because of the people's rebellion, the presence of God had left his people. And Moses wanted the presence of God to return. He had this great burden for it. And so he did what he did, and then he invited anyone to join. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up this tent of meeting outside the camp, and anyone else can come. It says those who wanted to meet with God came. He just invited. It wasn't this official, it wasn't this organized, great organized thing. And that's true of every renewal movement in the history of the church. It's always surprising, especially to those who are trying to organize it. Just this group of men and women slipping away to pray. And so there's this burden and there's this action, but there's also this drawing aside, this, this, um, this drawing aside uh, where the revival has never been an official movement of the church. Revival has never been an official movement of the church. Usually the church officials don't like it. But when God moves in his church, he burdens people who are called apart to meet together. And so to, to, if you feel the burden, if you feel the passion, if you feel, see the need, you don't need a marketing campaign, you don't need advertising, you don't need big name speakers, you don't need endorsements, you just need to get away and pray and seek God with his people. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 and 4, it's on the screen. I think, no, yes, I was with you in weakness and a fear and a much trembling. My speech, this is Paul speaking, my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, this world wants great leaders. This world wants marketing, and this world wants um, you know, snazzy campaigns and, 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 uh, and spin and hype. This world wants eloquence and wisdom and convincing arguments. And Paul says, I don't need any of that. I just need the demonstration of the Spirit and power. The power of the Holy Spirit. Third is this concern for holiness. You see, Moses knew that the the camp was sinful. And he needed to withdraw. He needed to get outside the camp, outside of the place of rebellion. He had this concern for for consecration, which is a a setting aside, a setting apart, saying, I'm not going to be connected to that which is rebelling against God. I'm going to get away from that. I'm going to get away from that which is rebelling against God. And so the first concern of those who have feel this burden, who take this action, who draw aside to seek after God, the, their first concern is not, not necessarily about the state of the church or the state of this world, but about the state of their own hearts, about the state of their own souls, that they have this concern that they be holy just as God is holy. And, and so there's, in these movements, there's always this request for a great, the grace of God to, to humble ourselves and to confess our sin and, and to be right with God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, In a day of grievous immorality and ungodliness and irreligion such as this, in a day when vice is not only shouting at us but is arrogant and is boasting, when it's being thrown at the people everywhere, all I am asking is whether we know anything about the call to a separation from that kind of thing. 
We're living in days when, as Christians, we're called to go the second mile. Ordinary Christianity is not enough. More is demanded. Are we not beginning to feel that nothing can deal with this situation but a manifestation of true life and living, holy living, as it is under God? See, as we seek after God, we become aware of our own uncleanness. As we, as we get to know God and we see his purity and we see how, how loving he is and how, how gracious he is, we see how that is actually, more and more we see how that's not reflected in me. You see, not everyone went, right? Not everyone went with Moses. Not everyone joined. The, took the invitation. There was, it says most people stood at the entrance to their own tent. They were standing afar off, not going to the tent of meeting, not going to meet with God. They were going off and they were watching curiously. They had, they had some interest, but they don't join in. They're just spectators. They're just spectators. But God recognizes the actions of those who did, who went to, to the tent of meeting, who went to meet with God, and he, he recognizes it, and he encourages it, and the cloud, the pillar of cloud returns. God's, the sign of God's presence comes back. In the first indication of revival, the first indication of a renewal of the Holy Spirit's work is that something always happens first in the church. There's worship is now warmer, that God's people have a new sense of expectation that God is going to move, that there's new freedom in prayer. And God's, God encourages, he says, he speaks to Moses face to face. Now, what, do we, what did Moses pray for? I'm going to dig into that. What did Moses pray for? And then we're done, and then we'll pray, actually, believe it or not. I'm just going to talk about prayer. We'll actually pray. What did he pray for? First thing Moses prayed for was a sense of personal assurance. Moses prayed for a sense of personal assurance. He says, God speaks to Moses. Um, this is, um, where is that? Um, verse, verse 12, Moses, this is Moses speaking to God. He says, and he's saying to God, you have said, I know you by name and you, I, you have found favor with me. He's, say, he's saying to God, God, you said to me that you know me by name and that I have found favor with you. Look at the next verse in verse 13, next sentence. So if you're pleased with me, literally, if I have found grace in your sight, which you have said I have, that's what he says, verse 12. He's saying, God, you told me that I have found favor with you. So if I have found favor with you, if I have found grace with you. He's, he's, he's needing this new sense of God's favor and of grace. He's like, God, you've, you've told me that in the past. You've told me that, I've found, that you're well pleased with me. You're told, you've told me that I've found grace and found favor in your eyes. And so now, if that's true, then here's a request. He, you see the sense for, I need, I need to know your love again. I, know, I need to not just, not just be a thing in the past. I, know, I don't need to just know that you accepted me in the past, that you've loved me in the past. I need to hear it again today. I need to hear that, yes, today I love you. I'm well pleased with you. I know you've messed up, Moses. I know you've acted in anger, but I love you, and, my, and I'm gracious towards you. And, I, and, and Moses is saying, God, I need to hear that again. I need a, a new experience of your love today. 
I don't want to rely on a past experience, a, a past word that you've given to me of, of love. I want it to be living, and I want it to be active, and I want it to be personal, and I want it to be present. I want it to in the, our relationship to be in the present tense. Not something I, I look back on wistfully of a, of a religious experience I had in days gone by. I want it to be real and active and moving today in my heart and in my life. So God, I need to hear it from you again. You've said I've found favor with you. So if you're pleased with me, he's not content with a mere knowledge that he was accepted by God in the past. He wants personal knowledge of God in the present no different than any of our relationships, right? If you're in a a marriage relationship, you know that your spouse loves you, but it's not enough. You like to be told it. Oh, that we wouldn't be content with average and ordinary Christianity. And again, we know that the Holy Spirit is in the church, right? We know our theology is right, that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and God promises that the Holy Spirit lives in believers individually, but lives especially in the gathering of the the ecclesia, the gathering uh, of the church, that the Holy Spirit lives among us as a community of people who are devoted to Him and following after Jesus and seeking Him and who found favor in His eyes through the work of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we know that our theology is right. We know that the Holy Spirit, since the days of Acts chapter 2, has been living in the church and continues to live in the church. But, we, but when, when we get burdened and we get burdened to action, we seek after God, we don't want that just good theology of the Holy Spirit's presence and, and living in the church. We want, we want to see it. We want to feel it. We want, we want manifestations of it. We want it to, to be obvious that the Holy Spirit lives among us, not just words in a book good theology. We want, we want true and living today, present tense manifestations, demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's activity among us. So Moses prays for this personal assurance. He says, so if I found favor, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Teach me your ways Lead me on your path, God. Show me your plans and your purposes. Show me what you're up to. Show show me what your heart is. I want to know you. I want to know you more. I don't want to just know about you. But I want to walk in your ways. Show me your purposes. Show me your plans. He's not assuming God's blessing and God's presence. How often do we do that? We just assume that well, I go to church and so, you know, and we're all going to church and we're here at church right now. We're at this gathering of the church. And so, of course, God's going to be here and of course, God's going to bless us. And so we assume that God's going to work. We assume God's going to be with us all the days of our life. We, we assume his blessing. We assume his presence. Moses says, no, I want, I need it again. I need a fresh outpouring. I need a fresh experience of your presence Tell me what you're up to. Tell me your purposes. Tell me your plans so that I would know you. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. It's Philippians. He says, oh, that I would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Oh, I want to know you. And I want to know your power. I want to experience it, not in the past, but, but as something that's present day, real time. And so Moses prays for this personal assurance. 
God's love and grace, his blessing and his presence in the present tense. Second thing Moses prays for is he prays for power. When God says, yes, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest, Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. The, the, those, who, those who are pray, praying for revival always have this prayer for power, that the power of the Holy Spirit would be evident through the church and through their lives. Several reasons for this. One first reason that we need to pray for power is we realize the magnitude of the problem. We realize the strength of the enemy, that there is an enemy that opposes us, and there is an enemy that opposes God in this world, the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world. If you look at our culture and you see this intellectualism that will not even consider the claims of, the, of Jesus because they're supernatural, and so it's a non-starter. How do we even get started? You see, self-sufficiency in this world, and why, why would I need God? I've got my life together. I've got everything I need. I'll provide for myself. I think I'm a pretty good person. When you, when you look at the culture around us, how will the good news of Jesus spread if not for the power of the Holy Spirit? You see the magnitude of the problem, but you also see of our, the realization of our own weakness. Who am I to meet this situation? You see, the beginning of renewal, the beginning of revival is to realize that without a manifestation of God's presence, we can do nothing. That the church will not advance. That the gospel will not advance to the nations or among this nation, in this community. It will not advance without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, that I can come to you. I didn't come to you with eloquent words, and I didn't come to you with how smart I am. He says, I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith wouldn't be in men, in the wisdom of men, but that your faith would be in God. And then Moses prays, thirdly, for an authentication of the church. He says, how else will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? How else will this watching world know that, you're at, you, that you are alive and at work among a people unless your spirit is active and moving in power? The church is meant to be unique. What is needed is something that cannot be explained in human terms. That's what we need today. I'm so convinced of that. That we need an act of God that cannot be explained in human terms. Remember Jeremiah Lanfear? September 23rd, 1857. He prayed alone for half an hour. By the end of the hour, six men from at least four denominational backgrounds joined him. Two days later, the Bank of Philadelphia failed. The next Wednesday, there were 20. On October 7th, there were nearly 40. The meeting was so blessed that they they decided to pray together daily. On October 10th, three days later, the stock market crashed. The financial panic triggered a religious awakening and people flocked to the prayer meetings. One week later, there were over 100 present, including many people who did not know Jesus and who were convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin. Within six months, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer in New York City alone. 
It's estimated that within the, the next year, after Jeremiah Lanfear just said, oh, I'll rent this room and anyone can come and pray, that over a million people came to know Jesus. In a time of great skepticism, in a time of, of uh, political instability, over a million people came to know Jesus in the United States. And it spread. People for, would come on boats from Ireland and from Wales in the UK and we would take it back, take this vision back, all because Jeremiah Lampfear decided to get down on his knees and invite others to pray because he had a burden for the city. So we're asking for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us. We're asking, we want to ask for God to work like he did in Acts chapter 4, where, you know, there's a lot of talk it's a lot of talk, especially in you know the election going on south of the border about hey we need to act to protect our religious freedoms and we need to you know the Supreme Court after all, right? And you know Christianity might be in trouble if the right guy isn't or gal isn't elected. The believers are arrested, they're beaten, they're threatened. Acts chapter four by the authorities told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. So they raised their voices together in God, in prayer to God, verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that's in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, the authorities... Those in power met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider the threats that these people are speaking against us, not to, to spread the news about Jesus anymore. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus after they prayed the place they were meeting in was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly i'm not necessarily praying that this building would be shaken but i'm praying that we would be shaken and that we would all be filled with the holy spirit and speak the word of god boldly as we seek him together in prayer that we would indeed be, a, a, like the apostles said, and later on in the book of Acts, they say, we would devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. That we would be a people who are devoted to two things, to the ministry of the word, of deploying the word of God out to this world and saying, this is what God says. This is his message of grace and love and forgiveness and acceptance. This is the truth. That we would speak it boldly and that it would be fueled by a, a heartfelt dependence and a passionate dependence on God in prayer. And so again, I'm convinced I can't, I can't preach on prayer without praying and leading us in prayer this morning. I think that would be the most hypocritical thing I could do, is talk about prayer without praying. So I'm going to invite us to, uh, to, to humble ourselves before God and seek Him in prayer and cry out to Him, would you revive us again? So would you join me in prayer as we finish this sermon? And so Father, we, we come before you this morning and we humble ourselves before you, God. 
And we say, Lord, would you remind us of your great love again? Would you, would you give us that personal assurance today that you're well pleased with us? That while we, while we fail you and while we, while we mess up, and sometimes, Lord, we actively rebel against you, that you are gracious towards us because of Jesus. That you don't, even, you don't even see that about us. You see a radiant bride, a beautiful bride, because Jesus is beautiful, because Jesus is perfect. So, Lord, if our sin is holding us back from you, would you give us the grace to confess that now, even right now? If we're cherishing, if we're loving sin in our heart and saying, I am not willing to let this thing go. Lord, would you convince us of that by the Holy Spirit even right now and give us the grace to confess and to repent, to turn away from it and say, no, we will follow you, Jesus. So in this moment of quietness, Lord, lead us in that repentance. Father, we want to know you. We want to know you. We don't want to just know about you and know good theology and have had a past experience of you, but Father, we want a fresh word from you today. That we've found favor in your sight. That you're pleased with us because of Jesus. Thank you for the the assurance of forgiveness that we have, that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, speak words of, of pardon and speak words of freedom to us this morning. Father, we're concerned for your church, the Church of Canada, Church of the Region of Niagara. We're concerned for Cornerstone Community Church, for us, Lord. Lord, we've not been faithful to you. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not given you everything. So, Father, we are crying out to you that you would rend the heavens and come down. That you would make yourself known among your people. That you would make your presence known and obvious. That you would fill us with your spirits. That we would boldly make known the good news of Jesus. That we wouldn't wouldn't hold back. So, Father, give us new love. Give us new passion. Give us new enthusiasm. Give us new energy. Those things that are broken down, Lord, would you rebuild them in us? Would you, those things that we've departed from, would you lead us back to? Those things that are new to us, Lord, that, would you open our eyes to see them? So that, Lord, we would love you with our whole heart. We, wa- we want to love you, Lord. We want to know you. That's our, that's our heart's cry to you today, Lord, is that we would know you more. And that, Lord, we'd be effective in this world. We, we desire, Lord, because not, not so that our name is great. It's not become we become famous, Lord. We want Jesus to be famous, and we want people to be saved from their sin, Lord. We believe you that, 
that there's only one way to be restored to you. There's, that we believe you, Lord, that all people have, have, have turned their back on you and are in rebellion against you and are in danger of your judgment. We believe you when you say that. And Lord, we love people and we want to see them come to know you. We want to see you honored by more people coming to, to recognize Jesus as the Lord and as the Savior. So, Father, would you glorify your name through us and through, Lord, we want to be effective in our mission to this world. So, Father, would you reach out your hand? Would you demonstrate your power? We pray that you would demonstrate your power through the healing of the sick. Lord, Darren's among us today, and, and Father, we, he needs a... He needs a, a, a he needs a healing hand on him. So, Father, would you reach out and heal him? Would you confound the doctors by showing your power to, to overcome cancer? Lord, give us, give us the prayer of faith. Lord, thank you that you don't change, that you're the same God who's healed in the past. You still heal today. Lord, would you join yourself to our sharing of the gospel that as we tell about Jesus and we speak good words about Jesus, Lord, that you would, you would attend to that with power. So, Father, we're, our eyes are on you. Our hope is in you. We're, we're crying out to you this morning. Would you come and would you revive us? Would you restore us? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.